Okay, if you have your uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to do um, we're going to do a message tonight. Kind of kind of in light of the messages that we've been doing on the family. So we talked about marriage. We've talked about parenting. Um, talked about divorce and remarriage. We talked about husbands. Um, and so in all of that, um, there has been rightfully so. Um, some conviction, uh, no doubt. I mean, I know for sure in some of the conversations I've had, and uh, most likely, if you're paying attention to what God's Word says about what it means to be a biblical husband or a biblical parent or a biblical wife or so forth, um, then you're going to be convicted at some point. Um, and so what I want to do tonight is talk about responding to conviction uh, in light of the Gospel. Okay, responding to conviction in light of the gospel. And because it's important that we, we understand what to do with and how to handle our conviction. Matter of fact, it's important that we understand that whenever we're talking about things like marriage or parenting, anything practical, we're, we need to be thinking about all of those things in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We need to be thinking about our performance in those things in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We need to be thinking about our failures in those areas in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And so if we're not careful, then we will let our conviction drive us back to Mount Sinai and we will sign up for a performance-based uh, relationship with the Lord that will lead nowhere except for misery and despair. And so we don't want to do that. And uh, so tonight we're going to talk about, again, how do we respond or how do we handle conviction? Is conviction good or bad? Where does it come from? What is, what is its purpose? Where do we find relief from conviction? What are we supposed to be doing with it? Or maybe we should be asking, what is it supposed to be doing with us? Sometimes we don't go any further than I've been convicted and it's causing some uncomfortable pressure in my heart and in my soul. And I want to do whatever I need to do just to get rid of it. That's a very common response to conviction, but it's not a response that you'll have if you view conviction in light of the gospel. The truth about conviction is that it feels bad, but it is good. It's good for you to be convicted. It's good for me to be convicted. And so before I just run ahead of myself, let me, let me just start at the beginning here and work our way down as we're trying to have an understanding of what conviction is and how it is that we're supposed to be responding to it. So number one, the question is just what is it? What does it mean to be convicted? There's a couple of times in Scripture where the word is translated convicted or conviction or some form of that word. Many times it's translated reproved or uh, reproof or reproved. Um, but what does it mean? What does it mean when this happens? Well, Psalm 32 is a pretty good picture of this. If you have your Bibles, we'll turn there. Psalm 32.
Um, starting in, well, we can just start in verse 1. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into drought of summer. Selah. Now, verses 3 and 4 give us a description of David's experience whenever he kept silent. Now, when he's talking about keeping silent in verse 3, he's talking about keeping silent concerning his sin. And so David was ignoring his sin. And when he, as he ignored his sin, he began to uh, experience some inward pressure. He began to experience some inward misery. And if you've ever gone through a season of conviction, you can identify with what David's talking about here. His bones waxed old through his roaring all the day long. Verse 4 particularly, Thy hand was heavy upon me. Thy hand was heavy upon me. That is, God knows how to get our attention through bringing conviction. And the, the conviction that we experience really is, if we were to just come up with a simple definition, it is a byproduct of a real or perceived violation of God's standard that has not been dealt with. We could say it this way. It's a byproduct of unaddressed sin in your life. So if conviction is a byproduct and we begin to experience that, it would make a whole lot more sense for us to deal with what's causing the symptom than it would be for us to try to eradicate the symptom, right? So if, um, if, you, if you think about it from a medical standpoint, if all you do is treat symptoms, uh, sometimes that's all you can do, but that's typically not what happens whenever you go see some uh, a doctor or uh, a medical professional for an actual problem that can be seen or or can show that will show up on pathology they'll get to the root of what's going on in John chapter 8 we get another another picture here so in Psalm 32 it's this pressure it's this discomfort that is a byproduct or a symptom of unaddressed sin or a symptom of real or perceived Violation of God's standard. Now, the reason I use that language as you're turning to John chapter 8, the reason I say real or perceived is that sometimes you can feel conviction over something that you're doing that's not really a sin, but you think it might be. So, for instance, you may, you may uh, think that it is a violation of God's standard. Um, well, let's just say you might think it's a violation of uh, God's standard for you to come, you know, to Wednesday night service in less than a suit and tie. And so if that's what you think and you come in, then you'll come in kind of paranoid. And you may come in feeling a little guilty. 
But the truth is you have nothing to feel guilty about. You haven't violated any standard at all. Okay, does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying when I say that? It's a, it's a conscience that needs to be rewired through Scripture, but you can still feel conviction over those kinds of things. In John chapter 8, this is the, this is the scene where they bring Jesus, the woman who was caught in adultery. In verse 5 of John chapter 8, these people say, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what say thou? They bring this woman to Jesus and they say, We know what Scripture says about this scenario. The Scriptures say that, that she ought to be stoned. It says they continue to ask Jesus in verse 7 what he thought about that. In verse 8, it says that he stooped down and wrote on the ground. In verse 9, they which... No, I'm sorry. In verse 7, it says, So when they continued to ask him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. What I want to get there is the language that they were convicted there by their own conscience. They had a disturbed conscience. And so when you're thinking about, you know, what is conviction? Well, one way, is just, one way to say it is conviction occurs when your conscience is disturbed. And we talked about this just a second ago, but... Sometimes our conscience can be disturbed because it's just not wired biblically, but everybody has a conscience. Everybody has some sort of a preset standard in their heart and mind about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, about what's right and about what's wrong. And whenever that standard is violated, you're going to be dealing with a guilty conscience. Now, it might not be sin. Again, you may have to... You have to rework that conscience. It may be that you're, you're, you're bothered by or even angered by things that really are important to you but are of very little importance otherwise. But just to answer the question, what is conviction? Well, it's when your conscience is disturbed. It's a byproduct of real or perceived violation of God's standard. Now, when we're thinking about conviction from like the convicting work of the Holy Spirit or the conviction that comes through the gospel, um, we want to ask ourselves, where does conviction come from? Okay. Where does it come from? How is it that we find ourselves in a place to where we are convicted whenever we hear a sermon about marriage or parenting or fill in the blank? Well, John chapter 16 tells us this, and this may seem kind of basic, but we're kind of building a, building some categories of understanding so we can make some implications and applications here in a minute. John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the Comforter who, who is coming. He is going to send the Comforter. And in verse 8 it says, And when He is come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
So John 16, 8, Jesus tells us that he's sending the Holy Spirit. And part of the Holy Spirit's job when he comes is going to be to reprove. That's our word for convict. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 as Paul is talking about what the Word of God, the, the inspired, God-breathed Word is useful for, he begins with doctrine, and the second category is, is that it is useful for reproof or conviction. Okay, So conviction comes as the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Conviction comes as you are brought face to face with the Word of God. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, one of Timothy's jobs or one of the charges that Paul gives to Timothy as he calls him to preach the Word is that he would reprove, that is, that he would convict. One of Timothy's goals in handling the Word of God and preaching the Word of God to God's people is that he would preach in such a way that it might prick the consciences of those who are followers of Christ, and they would be convicted. Now, obviously, he's dependent on the Spirit there, but the Word is used to bring conviction. And then in Revelation, look in Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, uh, Jesus here is addressing the, um, the church, the seven churches of Asia, and he makes this comment in verse 19. He says, As many as I love, I rebuke. Now, the word that's translated rebuke there is the same Greek word that's translated reprove and that's translated um, uh, convict in these other passages. So here's the point that I'm making. Jesus Christ says, if I love you, I'm going to convict you when you are in sin. I'm going to convict you when you are in need of growth. So what is conviction? Well, conviction is a disturbed conscience. It doesn't feel great. It happens whenever we um, perceive that we have violated God's standard. Where does it come from? It comes from the Spirit. It comes from the Word. It comes from Jesus Christ. We could go even further and say that in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but in Romans 2, 4, it says that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. That's the goodness of God the Father. And the next thing we're going to talk about is what is conviction supposed to produce? Well, it's supposed to produce repentance in your life. And so if it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance, then God the Father is also active in bringing conviction into your life. So let me ask you this. You know this already, but I'll just ask it just for emphasis. If you are experiencing something that has been brought to you by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, by the Son of God, and by God the Father, is that something good or bad? Good. It's good. It's good whenever we're convicted. There, now, we have to understand what the purpose is before we can understand um, the goodness of it. But so many times we, we feel 
the burden or the weight of conviction, we automatically begin to interpret what we're feeling just based on what it feels like in the moment. And we want to get rid of that. But if we realize that the conviction that we are currently experiencing, which hopefully we experience conviction on a regular basis, if you're in the Word very much, you're going to if you're paying attention. So if we, can, if we experience conviction very much, if we can remind ourselves, this, this is a gift from God. And some avenue and for some specific purpose, and we can pretty easily find that out, we're going to feel convicted when we feel like we've violated part of God's Word. Whatever portion you're probably reading at the time is a good clue as to why you might feel that way whatever portion or, or topic or whatever you might be hearing at the time would might be a good clue as to why you feel that way. But you know what? You know what it does whenever we ignore conviction? You know what that's like? Well, it's kind of like the coach who the coach of the little league baseball team who just constantly tells his kids, good job. Right? They have their glove on their head and the ball comes and they don't even go for it, but good job. Okay. They go up to the plate and they swing at pitches that are far above their head. Good job. Good job. You're doing great. Is he hurting or helping that kid? You know the answer to that. Well, here's what we can be sure of. God is not a coach like that. His, his intentions for me and His intentions for you is that we would grow. And conviction is a tool in His hands that He uses to motivate His people in the growth process. It's not meant to squelch you. It's not meant to drive you into the dirt and drive you into the ground. It's not meant to bring you to the place to where you throw your hands up and say, I give up, I can't get anything right. It's meant to press you on into growth. And there are two more things we're going to say about this to develop the full picture. So question number three, we've, we've, we've sort of answered this. What is conviction supposed to do? What is conviction supposed to produce? Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Starting in verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. Now the word sorry and sorrowed and all that, that's talking about conviction here. Not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So here Paul is talking about sorrow or he's talking about conviction, a violation of conscience, being sorrowful over something that's been done. And he gives us two categories, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. 
Godly sorrow, or what we would call spirit that is produced through the Holy Spirit by the Word of God, produces repentance. It is going to weigh on you. It is going to press you until you are willing to come to the point to where you acknowledge, I was wrong in this. And you're willing to confess and turn or to repent from what it is that you're doing. So repentance is one of the things that conviction is supposed to produce. That's what God's plan is. That's the tool that God is using to bring you and to bring me to repentance. It's going to be important for you to remember that as we get to our applications and implications. When you experience conviction and you've taken the time to confirm it really is conviction over a real sin, then that conviction needs to hang with you all the way to the point of repentance. Your, your, your goal from that time on is, I need to repent, not I need to get rid of this bad feeling. Now there's another thing that conviction is supposed to do. And it's really two sides of the same coin. But look in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Starting in verse 19. It says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of Christ without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, the second thing that conviction is meant to do is to drive us to Jesus Christ in faith. So if when you're convicted, the only thing you're thinking about is, I got to do better. I got to do better. I'll try harder. I'll try harder. I'll dig my heels in. You're, you're missing the point. Paul says that the law was given so that we might come to the understanding that we are guilty before God. And so we don't go to the law or we don't go to the word in order to establish our righteousness. Here's what I mean by that if we're thinking about it in a non-Jewish way. If you're waiting until you can, you know, as I'm trying to apply it to what we've been talking about, so the, the, the message on, on parenting, if you were convicted by that and you're waiting until you can work your way through that material and not feel convicted until you, uh, you know, are able to approach the Lord in a comfortable way, okay, you've gone back to Mount Sinai. That's not the point. The point of being convicted about your shortcomings and failures and sins as a parent is for us to be pointed back to the fact that we've received all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It has nothing to do with my performance. 
I could have never parented or, or, or been the, uh, the, the spouse to the degree that I would have ever gained God's favor. Nothing, I could have never done any of that. And so it makes no sense for me to view any of those categories in the light of, well, you know, I'm missing it here, here, and here, and if I can just make up for it in those three areas, then I'll be the spiritual person I'm supposed to be. Not so. You're the spiritual person you're supposed to be because you're connected to Jesus Christ. And the motive that you have in wanting to grow and become a better parent, a better husband, a better wife, a better child, whatever else it is, is that we want to please Him because we love Him, because He loves us, even in spite of our failures. So when we become convicted, that conviction is supposed to produce repentance and it is meant to drive us to Christ in faith. We're meant to look to Him, not look to ourselves. Now, this is very, very practical. What this means is, if, if, if we realize our conviction is supposed to drive us to Christ, we're not going to be bashful or we're not going to... Um, we're not going to withdraw into ourselves every time a sin is exposed. You know, we ought to be able to freely discuss areas in our lives that need growth. It's a wonderful thing to be able to do that. Uh, last week, or maybe it was the week before, I can't remember, whenever, whenever I preached that uh, marriage message, um, one day, um, Abby and I were just standing by the kitchen sink and we were talking and she was talking about areas where she was convicted and, and needed some, needed to grow. And, and, uh, and I began to talk about the areas where I realized I needed growth and I was convicted here, but, but neither one of us were Eeyore. Okay? We weren't about to cry about it. We weren't, we weren't uh, trying to fix each other or trying to hide from each other. Here's a secret. Everybody knows you're a sinner. Everybody knows that. And so we ought to be able to talk about that and talk about our need for growth in a way that's not defensive. It's not in a way that's trite either. I mean, neither one of us said, yeah, I know I fall short, but there's so many people that are far worse than I am. It's not that. It's, it's I know that I fall short in these areas, but I want to grow. And the reason that I want to grow is because I love Jesus. And I want to fill this role, whatever it is, in a way that brings Him honor, in a way that brings Him glory. Not, I want to be the kind of husband that Jesus can love. Do you understand the difference? Okay. Conviction is supposed to drive us back to this reality that even at our very best, our righteousness is just filthy rags. does nothing for God. And so... We've talked about what conviction is. We've talked about where conviction comes from, what conviction is supposed to produce. And then lastly here, and I've already answered the question, but where are we supposed to find relief from conviction? Now, this is an important question. Where do we find relief? And you already know the answer. It's in Jesus Christ. It's, it's not in the fact that you might do better. It's in the fact that even when you fail next time, you can look to Christ because with Him, through Him, you can do all things. So that doesn't make you complacent. It doesn't mean that you're not going to try to grow. 
but also doesn't mean you're going to be defeated when you realize that you're still a sinner. We've received every single spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Jesus Christ, completely outside of anything you've ever done, completely independent of your performance as anything, And 1 John chapter 1, this is, this is familiar to you as far as finding relief from conviction. This may seem obvious, but I'm going to tie it back into what we were talking about earlier. What is conviction? Well, it's a response so it's a response that you have in your conscience in relation to sin. So if you find, if you're looking for relief from conviction, you're going to leave conviction alone and you're going to go straight to the sin, right? That's what's doing it. And so 1 John 1.8 talks about how to deal with your sin. What happens whenever you sin? Matter of fact, 1 John uh, 1.8 and 9 uh, the, the question is not, will you sin? The question is, what will you do when you sin? And here it is. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess. Now in confession here, I think it's implied that as we're confessing our sins, we're confessing and repenting. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes shall find mercy. So we're bringing our sin to the Lord. We're seeking to have our sin cleansed by Christ. Now, that's the, that's the repentance side of it. We've been brought to a place to where conviction has settled in. We've been brought to a place where we're willing to acknowledge, at least silently, I was wrong here. I have sinned here. Now, the faith part of it is, is Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ, those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, So this, this reality that I've taken my sin to the Lord, I've confessed it, now I am not condemned. I've been cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been cleansed of that violation, of that sin. So let's talk about a couple of practical implications and some applications here as it relates to you and, and, and even in the way that you might help others. So number one, we've already talked about this, but if the Holy Spirit has used Scripture to produce conviction in your heart or someone else's heart, it might feel bad, but it's actually a good thing. You've got to start there. It might feel bad, but it's a good thing. That's, that's living by faith, by the way. The only reason we know that is because Scripture says it. You'd never come to that conclusion any other way. It feels bad, but it's actually good. Now, number two, if we're trying to find comfort or comfort others in their conviction, 
We want to make sure that we are not working against what God is trying to produce. Okay, so as we see uh, our own sin or as we see others struggling with sin, you know, it's a it's a normal thing not to want to see someone hurt or not to want to see someone be uncomfortable. But brothers and sisters, as we try to address that and offer help and hope, we need to make sure that we are not getting in the way or we are not working against what God is trying to produce through that conviction. There's a lot of ways that we do that. One way is just by trying to neutralize sin. Just trying to make sin no big deal. You know, ah, we all do that sort of thing. You know, you know, we I've done the same thing a hundred times. Well, do you think that's helping that person move closer to Christ or settle into their seared conscience? Of course, it's not seared yet, but a few more of those and it might be on its way. Okay. Now, it feels comfortable because we don't like to see people uncomfortable, but what we're really doing is working against what God is trying to produce. The question we have to ask ourselves as we're thinking about dealing with conviction, whether it be ourselves or somebody else, Is God more interested in producing or growing repentance and faith or comfort and ease? Which one's higher on God's agenda? You already know the answer to that. It's repentance and faith. As you live a life of repentance and faith, the comfort and ease will come. I say, I don't know about the ease, but the comfort part will come as far as your conscience is concerned. But if we're looking for counterfeit ways to kind of smash the alarm, you've heard it illustrated this way, whether it be any sort of emotional response, it's kind of like a fire alarm or a smoke alarm. You know, when the smoke alarm's going off in your house, the solution is not to smash the alarm. The fire's still going. The the solution is to take care of the fire and the alarm will go off. So we want to make sure we're not smashing alarms that God is is, uh, using to move people in a particular direction. We need to remember that God uses conviction to produce repentance and faith. And we need to make sure we're not trying to prematurely eliminate what God is using to grow someone. You know, we typically grow in, un, in, in, in uh, seasons that are not comfortable for us. That's usually the way it works. Growth does not typically happen on your beach vacation. Now, it doesn't mean you can't relax and have a good time. There's nothing wrong with you taking your beach vacation, but you probably never came back thinking, man, I really grew. The Lord has done leaps and bounds with me. Now, growth comes through difficulties, through pressures. And then trying to assure someone that they aren't all that bad is unknowingly encouraging that individual to trust in the arm of flesh rather than the cross of Christ. Anytime we're seeking to alleviate guilt or conviction, it needs to be by making a beeline to the cross. Either an individual needs to repent and turn from their sin and turn toward Christ, or if that individual has handled it the way that they've biblically been prescribed, then they need to, by faith, embrace the promises of Christ 
and the effects of the work of Christ that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But what they never need is for you to try to persuade them that their sin is not a big deal because sin is a big deal to God every day of the week. There's never a time where it's small. There's never a time where it's just not that big a deal. And so if we've gone any other route besides turn from your sin or rest in the forgiveness of Christ, then we're working against what God's doing. And then last, and we started with this, but I'll just say it again. If we are not careful, we will respond to our conviction by trying to return to a performance-based relationship with the Lord. Again, whenever we find, uh, whenever the Lord opens our eyes to the fact that we've fallen short, the first thing we ought to be thinking about is, I have got to lean on Christ. If I'm going to make any improvement in this area, I need to know what he says, but I also need his strength. I've got to be connected to the vine. Without him, I can do nothing. And so I need to prayerfully be seeking to improve and grow in these areas to his glory, not mine. Then we need to remember from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, that in our conviction, God is for us. Did you know that? If God be for us, who can be against us? When God's bringing conviction into your life, he's not mad at you. He's not mad at you from the standpoint that he's wiped, uh, washed his hands and said, I'm finished, and you move on. That's not what's happening. We know that because Christ, what we just read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, says, I only convict those that I love. And so as we're responding to our own personal conviction, we want to make sure that we're responding by looking to Christ, by resting in what he's done for us, by trusting in his help and his mercy and his grace, and then by seeking to please Him as we move forward one day at a time, one moment at a time, with a motive to honor Him in all that we do. So I wanted to talk about that just so we don't get to the end of our time looking at what Scripture has to say about the family and the only thing that's occurred is, is you know conviction that's been mishandled that leads you away from Christ rather than closer to Him. So again, what is conviction? It's a byproduct of a real or perceived violation of God's standard. It comes from the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, God the Father. It is supposed to produce repentance and faith. It is supposed to move you, squeeze you, push you closer and closer into repentance and faith. And then you will only find relief from conviction the way that you are intended to find you know, real relief from conviction through the cross of Christ by looking to Him, by turning to Him. And so may God bless us as we try to uh, deal with and respond to biblical conviction in a very practical and a theologically sound way. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, Lord, we thank you for conviction. We, uh, we confess we don't like the way it feels. Um, it can be a miserable experience. But Lord, we thank you that you love us enough um, to uh, 
press down hard on us when it's time for us to grow, when it's time for us to acknowledge a sin that we are just not willing to acknowledge, when it's time for us to move in a particular direction, when it's time for us to lean heavier on Christ than we lean on our own selves. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless us as we try to deal with our own hearts and as we try to help others in their conviction, that we would do it in a way that would be consistent with your word, that would be helpful to them, and that would be honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen.